Army veteran Sarah Apgar is changing how the fitness industry lifts steel with her workout product, The Steel Hose. Fit Fighter is up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Navy Federal Credit Union's Cash Rewards Card helps you slay the season. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Right, today, I'd like to welcome Army veteran Sarah Apgar to the show, founder of Fit Fighter. Sarah, you got some really exciting things to talk about, but I really want to hear what you did in the Army. Sure. Thanks for having me, Joe. So back in 1998, I accepted an ROTC scholarship to Princeton University, um, t- took one of those undergrad spots to help pay for my tuition. Of course, at the time, you know, the the major activity going on overseas were Balkans, you know, humanitarian missions. I mean, it was a very different world than we live in now. Um, so I joined the ROTC. I um, did my four years of training and in 2002 was commissioned upon graduation um, as second lieutenant and took a slot at Fort Carson, Colorado in the Army Engineer Corps as a platoon leader. And you know, what was interesting about that time frame, of course, is four years after taking that ROTC scholarship, the world had changed significantly. So I went off to my OCS uh, at Fort Leonard One, Missouri, and after nine months, arrived at Fort Carson and was immediately told that in three weeks time, you know, I was needed to mobilize and I was going to be uh, assuming command of a platoon in Mosul, Iraq, um, 52nd Engineer Battalion supporting 101st Airborne Division in the reconstruction of northern Iraq. So, you know, that that was quite the start at age 23, you know, assuming a command in a, in a combat environment of an engineer, heavy engineer platoon. And uh, that, you know, characterized the next four years of my commitment from RTC and, and certainly has characterized the rest of my life in terms of its impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you... Uh... Before the show we were talking, you were in, in Mosul 0304 time frame, right? Things were right. things are very busy then. <laughs> very busy. Yeah. 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 You know, they so so my platoon had actually, you know, it's it was pretty fascinating their experience because that unit, the 52nd engineer, has actually arrived on site, one of the very first units in, in Iraq at all, wholesale, mm-hmm. you know, following those combat operations, they landed in Kuwait and they helped to pave that route Tampa through the center of that country up north to Mosul, all the way from Kuwait City, you know, through Baghdad. And so those those guys had, you know, been through the ringer already when I arrived on site. They'd been there for six months, you know, basically sort of paving the way. Um and so that was really significant because then, you know, we were obviously in Mosul, we were built the, the very first, um, you know, facilities there for, you know, base camps there. Diamondback uh, was the major um, army base camp that was there in Mosul. Mm-hmm. Um, we set up the, you know, in the palace in the center of city, um, we, we, you know, set up the operations there helped to do a lot of the work in and around the grounds of the palace to support the operations there. And so, and then up towards Erbil, you know, major airfield in the Kurdish country, um, you know, that was our platoon as well. So, 
there was a lot going on. Um, I, I felt pretty ill-prepared in some respects, but also the military does a good job of, I think, giving you this this level of confidence that this is just how it works. You know, mm-hmm. that this is something where, mm-hmm. you know, the, the 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 platoon leader is, is you know, has been trained to focus on health and wellness of the platoon, focus on the management, you know, of the mission, the project management of the mission, and uh, lean heavily on, you know, platoon sergeants and squad leaders who obviously are the ones that, you know, run the show and take care of the soldiers. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a memorable time. It was, um, it was a challenging place to be. Um, but I also do feel really strongly that the military has a lot of it figured out when it comes to the, the way that units are, you know, the unit leadership is put together and how units operate, you know, in this very structured and disciplined environment, but that that lets that that young platoon leader, you know, have a lot of latitude and autonomy about how to accomplish the mission. So I, I still feel to this day, you know, we have a lot to learn from that. I wish the corporate environment operated a little bit more like the military. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as an entrepreneur, I take a lot, I, I glean a lot all the time thinking about those experiences and successes and failures and trying to really like, you know, m- remember to kind of put that into the fabric of my everyday. Yeah, absolutely. So talk a little bit about uh, after coming back and your eventual transition out of the army. So when I returned, the 52nd Engineer Battalion actually was reflagging. You know, there's a lot, as you mentioned, there's a lot going on with the way that units, you know, we, they were bringing uh, second ID to Carson um, that had been in Korea for years, decades, um, via Baghdad back to Fort Carson. You know, there was um, fourth ID and their 10th group there. We were reflagging as soon as I got back. So I, I helped to actually draw down a lot of the equipment, had very sort of logistically heavy assignment for a year. And then I, at that point, you know, I think decided that it was time for me to think about, you know, fulfilling my four-year commitment with that one deployment um, and, you know, and, and starting to transition because I, I wasn't sure that I saw, you know, a, a future. I had always wanted to be a company commander, but I wasn't sure at the time, you know, it just seemed like a very uncertain future, you know, and, and the deployment cycle was onerous. My husband, I had met my husband, who's a West Pointer in the army. He was back from one deployment, preparing for the next, you know, those 15 monthers. And so we sort of both together, I think, started to see a, a future where we w- we would both get out after that commitment and um, move on to other things. And and so I took a joint assignment that was uh, much more of sort of a high-level policy-based assignment working for the G3 training office at Peterson Air Force Base. And then I you know, that was a great transition in some respects because I started to have a little bit more time on my hands and a little less responsibility on the leadership side. You know, I didn't have a platoon anymore assigned to me. And it and it helped me to think through what's next. And what, what I think is a really important point for us to elevate, you know, as veterans um, is that I think, you know, I think that transition is sugarcoated a little bit sometimes, you know, when we t- talk about like the, uh, you know, um, some of the, you know, corporate sort of military to corporate office transitions. And there's a lot of great programs out there at large corporations that take in, you know, officers and and enlisted folks. And, you know, the JOLT program, junior officer leadership program at GE or, you know, PepsiCo's, um, you know, green to gold type programs. And, but I think that 
what's what's sort of the underbelly of that is that it is really difficult to transition from that lifestyle you know that all-encompassing lifestyle it's mission driven you're 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 just living for something that's not you know totally so far above you know yourself as an individual um and that transition is really hard it was hard for me i was a floater for a couple years i would say mm-hmm. you know I, I got out and I, you know, good news is I had my husband, he had had that experience. We lean on each other. We moved to Europe um, for a couple of years and taught at an international school in Europe and, and started actually an outdoor program for teenagers, you know, leading on, leading on some of our army experience and, and had, had a blast living overseas, you know, little bit of a transition, um, small town in Switzerland, like in the Swiss Alps. And, that was really important transition time for us. And then we started to have, we, we started to sort of say like, okay, you know, what's the, what's next? Like, what's like the next real chapter, you know, like mm-hmm. we're in our late twenties and, and how, what are we going to sort of sink our th- teeth into? And so we both decided to go back to school. Um, I decided to go back to graduate school and, uh, and, and took a slot at Tuck School of Business to do my MBA for me. <laughs> I think people sometimes think that was sort of like a, like this very deliberate, right. Decision on my part. Like I'm going to do my MBA and then I have a plan. And like, I didn't have a plan at all. I was like, what's a grad school that has no other prerequisites to what I already have. (laughs) (laughs) And it's going to be like a great safe space for two years for me Mm -hmm. to go back, learn, study, get a, get a master's and an MBA seemed like a great way to do that for me, not to downplay whatsoever the impact of it or that being a, a smart decision, but it, it, it was definitely sort of, again, just trying to continue that transition. And then my husband decided he wanted to go to medical school. And so he did a post-bac while I was doing my MBA and then applied to medical school. And we continued on those next few years, you know, through a, through a graduate school transition into what would become, you know, our next major chapter in our lives. Wow. Well, that's something else. Yeah. That, that is kind of, I think a lot of, a lot of veterans do go back to school. I don't want to really want to say for the wrong reason, but they go back there because it is a safe place. Um, but doesn't, it doesn't always work out well. Um, you know, unless, unless you, unless you're fully into it. Um, but, uh, of course there's all, the, there's always those that go back to school just so they can, uh, suck the GI bill, uh, benefits out of it too, but that's a whole other story. So where did this entrepreneurship thing come from? So when I was doing my MBA, I took an interest in early stage companies that I think I was always sort of wired that way. You know, I, I grew up, my dad was an entrepreneur my whole life, raised us very much to be sort of thinking along the lines of, you know, co- coming up with your own ideas and innovations was, and, and being an entrepreneur is a really you know, really noble profession, you know, great way to spend your professional career. And so I think I had that sort of juice inside of me anyway. And then during my MBA, I just, I really took to it. I loved, I was constantly coming up with ideas, new business ideas, you know, solutions. I had some great, couple great professors, you know, at the time, 2010, 11, um, 9, 10, 11, about 10 years ago now, hard to believe um, that it was becoming, you know, entrepreneurship was becoming a field of study. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't, which it never was before, you know, right. now business schools have entire concentrations in entrepreneurship and yeah. that was never sort of a, a discipline before. And that's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. And, you know, before it was like, are you going to be in marketing? Are you going to be in consulting or investment banking or, you know, operations like these other sort of core components of big corporations? Right. It wasn't like, are you going to be an entrepreneur? 
which of course encompasses every single one of those, you know, other disciplines. And so I really took to that. And so I, when I left Tuck and Ben was starting his medical school in Long Island, I just started looking for early stage companies that would be great to join. I didn't have my big idea yet myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I said, Hey, let me join a cool, really cool company in early stage. So walked in the door at Warby Parker um, and which was a brand new company at the time. And I, you know, I just fell in love with that environment, you know, very scrappy mm-hmm. startup environment in which there's what, like, what is Warby Parker? What do they do? Yeah. Warby Parker is an eyewear retailer. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so Everybody's heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. Very disruptive. So, you know, real disruptive at the time because they were taking out the middleman in the eyewear industry. So selling glasses online, direct to consumer, which people at the time, you know, it was only 10 years ago, but you know, it world changes fast. Like people didn't think that getting, mm-hmm. buying eyeglasses online, which is a very high touch experience where you walk mm-hmm. into you know, Pearl Vision and get your glasses and your prescription and there's a doctor, right? Like people just didn't think at the time that was a very novel idea, but they, they hit it big. You know, people did, were receptive to that idea that that could be done. If it's done really well, you could, you could get your prescription, you know, send in your prescription to Warby, upload it and, you know, get your glasses made and shipped to you. And of course they just went public, you know, back in September, Um, And so, you know, that was a very pivotal experience for me in my career, probably Mm -hmm. the second big pivotal experience to the military, because I got to see firsthand, you know, working with the founders, seeing this visionary approach to true innovation, you know, real disruption, the sort of challenger brand, you know, style of disruption in an industry, which of course is fast forward, you know, where I'm headed and my vision for, for, for Fit Fighter. And they also had a ch- charitable partnership with Vision Spring, um, and and which is an organization that distributes eyeglasses around the world to those who need um, eyeglasses and and don't have access to them. So that also was a model for my partnership with Tunnel to Towers Foundation. So that was a really pivotal experience for five years. I worked as director of new stores and facilities, opening up retail stores around the country for Warby. Um, And it was during that time that I actually joined the volunteer fire service because the one thing I'd say was missing at Warby was this feeling we talked about, like this lifestyle that we talked about, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, really just that, that sort of mission driven, lifestyle where you feel this connection to something that's like, you know, that's just really big, you know, that's really sort of big and esoteric and that you have this sort of like kind of broader perspective on the world and on what you're doing and and its impact on communities and people. And so the the Long Island Fire Service is mostly volunteer. So I walked into an open house in my community where we had landed for Ben's medical school and, you know, started training as a firefighter and in New York Stadium T and loved every minute of the training and the experience and taking volunteer calls. And it was during that time that I first invented the very first steel hose, which is now the the signature equipment um, of our Fit Fighter training system. And that steel hose was made of fire hose and it was, it served to make firefighters stronger and more ready for the extreme sort of technical nature of the skills and movements on the fire ground. So we were mimicking different skills and movements, um, you know, that firefighters have to use day to day in this incredibly high pressure weight loaded environment. And I didn't realize that we were at the time 
you know, stumbling on something really big, a Mm. really big idea that was, you know, much bigger than helping firefighters train for hose handling skills. And so I'll sort of pause there. That's like kind of the genesis of the Fit Fighter story back in 2013. Awesome. A great, great place to take a break. So we're going to do that and we'll be right back. We are all looking forward to this holiday season being more normal this year. So as you head out on the shopping sprees, know that Navy Federal Credit Union's cash rewards card helps you slay the season. I know that my Navy Federal Credit Card will be getting plenty of action this year, but it helps to know that you can earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases when you sign up for direct deposit. I've had direct deposit with Navy Federal for over 31 years now, 24 years on active duty, and now in retirement. You can redeem points as soon as you earn them. From all of us here at Veteran on the Move, we hope this holiday season is back to normal for you. Learn more at NavyFederal.org, insured by NCUA. All right, back talking with uh, Army veteran Sarah Apgar, founder of Fit Fighter. So Sarah, you've arrived at the Fit Fighter, which the the key element of that is the steel hose. Um, talk about talk about that and, and what it is actually. And I didn't realize it, but it, it's actually made of fire hose material and it does actually have steel in it. Yeah, exactly. It's a name that, you know, it's funny because people always, I think, think there's something that's like, you know, more, more complex and esoteric about, you know, the steel hose, the name or the idea. Yeah. This is very simple idea with very broad reaching implications. That's one of the things I'm really proud of because I'm frankly, I'm just not that technically smart. I'm not a, a, a true engineer. I'm an army engineer. Right. So I, I'm, I think pretty simply. Right. Mm-hmm. So the steel hose originally was designed with real fire hose because we were literally mimicking the position of handling fire hose on the fire ground. So this lifeblood of the fire ground that we don't get enough training time with, um, my objective was to fill it with materials that were going to mimic a hose that was charged with water and mm. truly create that, ex- recreate that experience for firefighters on a much more regular basis. And so as I start to do that, I looked at different sands, you know, alpine sands and grits and steel grits and grains and pellets. And I landed on after a very long process which also is something that most people don't have a sense of, right? When you see Shark Tank and you see, you know, overnight success, and I'm glad it looks that way. But the reality is, <laughs> this is years in the making, right? Yeah. Um, where, you know, you, 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 you sort of refine the product design and development over time. And so I landed on a steel shot um, that would be the material that we would fill the, the double layered rubber line fire hose with. So it's a fire hose nylon polyester on the outside, which gives us that great grip. And then it's rubber on the inside Mm -hmm. and rubber lined. And so, you know, with the steel shot inside, we compact it to this very uh, deep compaction. And then it mimics that compressed water in there. That's at that high pressure water flowing through that hose. And so it keeps its shape. It's very unique and novel form factor that we have inside the steel hose. And it is steel, but it's not hard steel. It's soft steel. And so that is very important when we talk about changing the game in weightlifting. You know, my contention here, um, which I realize sounds lofty, but I'm, you know, I'm willing to take the gamble here. But we are really changing the nature of weightlifting forevermore the way we've thought about lifting. And that is to say, we think about picking weight up and putting it down hard steel, mm-hmm. right? Even with the sledgehammer and the medicine ball and all these sort of other implements, by and large, for the most part, you know, even the big plastic tools of vipers, right? If you think about everything, it's 
hard steel. It's these objects that are fixed objects, geographically fixed, you know, have to stay in one place. And they're sort of like have this, you know, single point of grip. And the steel hose completely redefines what it means to lift weight. In fact, I would even argue we're not even lifting weight just up and down anymore. Now we're moving weight around and on our body and in our grip in a way that totally transforms our thinking about what weightlifting means and what strength training means. And so the steel hose became for us with this starting point of hose handling with fire hose, almost like this fifth limb. There's a thousand different ways you can grip. There's a, you know, a hundred different ways you can layer on the body and you can move this weight to get to, to work that strength and stability in mm -hmm. a completely new way. So when I think about steel hose training, you know, and this, and this discipline we've created, I'm thinking about like yoga. I'm thinking about cycling. I'm not thinking about, oh, a great alternative to the dumbbell. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about you are moving with a weight load in a safe, controlled environment, training environment in a totally different way and better preparing us um, for not just the tactical professions, but anyone who is, you know, throwing groceries around, tossing kids into the air, running up and down the stairs and moving in and around their their day to day life. And in doing this, you know, I, I have a I have a very you know lofty vision about, you know, in 30 years that we just think about. The, the nature of, of strength training and weightlifting and exercise in a really very different way. And it's borne out in my own experience. This is how, how I, in my life, I'm a mom, you know, I'm a 41 year old mom. Most of my gladiating days are over. Um, I, I love still to compete, run 5Ks, do obstacle courses, but that's what I'm strong for now. You know, it's a really different kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And even for me, working with a steel hose as sort of my main training tool, you know, is, is, uh, is, you know, just what I've found to be the most impactful in my life. And I've slowly started to see that adoption, you know, across the, the mainstream fitness industry in a way that I just never, never, ever could have imagined when we were just farting around in the fire hose day in the firehouse days. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Okay. So tell us about the, your experience on shark tank. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So fast forward about a year and a half. So I've launched this company in 2019, you know, COVID-19 hits, gym industry shuts down. That's primarily my main, you know, target market. And so I'm thinking, okay, let's, let's start to put hoses and hands in people's houses. Right. So let's, let's start to, let's do some Instagram lives. Let's start to continue. Let's continue to spread the steel hose movement but let's do it in the context of, you know, COVID-19 and home fitness, because that's, you know, I got to keep the lights on. We got to keep moving, you know, early stage brand, not a lot of brand awareness. And so after we had, you know, a few months into that, we get this call from the Shark Tank producers and they're like, hey, this story seems magical and we love the product and man, let's, you know, let's talk about whether you're interested in featuring this on Shark Tank. And of course, dream come true for me because, you know, I'm now, I'm now early stage company, you know, mm -hmm. trying to build this brand awareness for what I'm doing. Totally novel, unfamiliar product, right? So some, some people say like, you know, well, man, you must have crushed it, you know, during COVID. This is perfect, you know, sell fitness equipment, it's perfect solution for in-home. But what you have to realize is when you've, invented something that's truly an innovation that is literally a brand new physical object that nobody's ever seen before. It's challenging to get adoption yeah. for that. I mean, it's hard enough to get yourself airtime 
you know, if you're selling something very simple that immediately when someone sees it, you know, come across their Instagram feed, like they understand what that is. Right. For us, it was like, wow, we first have to show people what this thing is. Then we have to teach them how to use it. And then we got to convince them that that's a valuable thing that doesn't already exist in their life, you know, especially in the sort of fitness and, and conditioning world. And so it's like, that's a lot of things to do. And so Shark Tank was this incredible opportunity for us to get 5 million eyeballs on Fit Fighter in a captive environment. And it really, truly launched the company into the mainstream. You know, we sold 10,000 steel hoses and within weeks of time, you know, got got this into the consumer market ahead of where, where I thought we ever would be. And so it was just a very, very special experience. Um, I filmed in August of 2020, uh-huh. the show after three months of sort of preparing with the producers and being accepted for the pitch. I then, um, the show aired in November, a few months later, um, you know, huge raving success, closed a deal with Daniel Lubetsky, um, and who was the guest shark, by the way, founder of Kind Bars, yeah. um, incredible human being in and of himself, you know, Mexican-American immigrant, um, built Kind Bars from the ground up, from scratch, you know, on his own, just sold to Mars a few months ago, Mars um, North America. Mm-hmm. And I, I just feel extreme gratitude that, you know, he shared my vision. I was not one of those people who walked on Shark Tank saying I had a million dollars in sales already. I had like this roller coaster, COVID-19, you know, early stage company, struggling company experience. And, uh, and he saw, he saw the vision. And, you know, since that time, I mean, gosh, it's a, it's an hour long pitch that gets condensed into seven minutes on national television. Um, Every bit of what you see in terms of the drama of, you know, Mark Cuban before the commercial, you know, saying, I mean, your audience has to, Obviously, everybody has to go watch the episode now. It's up on YouTube. So yeah. search Fit Fighter Shark Tank. You'll find it. Um, before the commercial, you know, Mark Cuban says, you know, wow, you really need help. You have so much going on. Too many opp- drowning in opportunity. Robert jumps on that train, you know, and sort of echoes his his words. Daniel kind of comes in and, and uh, you know, gives me some confidence that, hey, you know, we've, we've got something special here and like might pull this one out. And at the end of the day, I was, I, I walked in there thinking like, if I, if I get an offer, I'm going to take it because the, you know, this is the big moment for this business to save mm-hmm. the business in a crazy pandemic. And um, so, yeah, came out on top, you know, closed that um, round of investment with Daniel. It is for real. A lot of people don't, don't think Shark Tank's for real. Like they're like, does it ever even happen? what happens, you know, (laughs) after the handshake. And I'm like, it's for real, you know, um, Daniel's heavily involved, you know, at once a month, uh, we meet, you know, he's, he's an active investor. Um, he's an advisor. He's a mentor to me. Um, I am eternally grateful for that life-changing experience and Mm. it's helped us to, to bring fit fighter into the mainstream fitness market. Can you talk some numbers? You mentioned you sold 10,000 of them within a few weeks after the show aired, but what what about, you know, since then, where were you at right before and where are you at now? And whatever numbers you could share would be great. 
yeah, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty transparent because I had to say a lot of it out on, you know, on national television. But I, so we, I mean, we had had lifetime sales. You know, we'd had 150,000 in sales, mostly working with gyms, trainers, coaching community, um, you know, through up to the point when I pitched on Shark Tank. And then immediately, you know, I mean, we sold 10,000 steel hoses, million dollars in revenue, um, you know, in, in just like the first six months, you know, since Shark Tank. And so that, you know, as I said, I mean, we, I feel like, you know, it enabled us to do the impossible, you know, to get this company um, growing and, you know, and, and, really to kind of turn on the gas. And obviously there's a point then at which you, you sort of come down off that rocket ship and things sort of settle into more of an organic growth period. And so now what I'm working to do is to really bring that gym trainer coaching community back into the fold, um, you know, really working to, you know, now that the world's awakening, you know, the, the, the fitness community still has a, you know, a, a foundation of the professionals that deliver this expertise to people, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, there's been the world of home fitness where you can get that coaching, you know, right, right on your screen, you know, direct to you. But I also believe, and this is being borne out by what you're seeing, obviously, in the Wall Street Journal now, right, about like what what's happening with the home fitness market, people are going back to gyms. They're desperate for the connection. People love what they always loved, which is mm -hmm. working out with other people, high five in, you know, team settings, boot camps, you know, mm -hmm. moms groups. I mean, the works. That's always like that, that's that's coming back. You know, I mean, we 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 did the home fitness thing, I believe, out of necessity and out of definitely accelerating, you know, the notion that we can get good content, good training, good good service from this industry online through digital platforms. That mm -hmm. is true. But this industry, you know, the bricks and mortar, the team settings, the group connections, that's not going away. I mean, that's, and if, if, if there's ever a time when, when, you know, it's even like going to accelerate, I think back sort of maybe the pendulum swings back in the other direction, I think that's what's going to happen in the next year. And then we're going to see this like leveling off into kind of this new reality for the industry, new mm -hmm. chapter where we got this like 360 degree, you know, holistic view here on delivering great fitness training to people all over the place. And that's where I think, you know, Fitbiter really comes in. So we're perfectly positioned, you know, to be servicing all aspects of the industry in the gyms, working with the public sector. It's great. Have your steel hose at home. I mean, Joe, we need to get you, you know, I think we need to, we, we didn't get a hose in your hands before the show. So let's, let's do that. Yeah. And, you'll see, you immediately see that, that this is this magical experience and something you just like want to work with. So I'm really excited our positioning as the industry sort of heads into its post pandemic kind of new norm. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, we're getting close to the end of our time here. So Sarah, how do we, how do we find fit fighter? Yeah. Fitfighter.com. Go get your hose. You know, that's the first thing that 15 pound shark tank hose, that's the bread and butter place to start, you know, super versatile. Um, we have our on-demand platform at training.fitfighter.com. So once you got your hose, you know, we're of course going to tell you of course to go there, but that's where you get your 30 day subscription free trial. Um, see some of our coach classes, check out our movement libraries, um, very robust programming on there for professionals and consumers. Mm -hmm. And then of course you can follow me on Sarah.apgar on Instagram. Um, you can follow FitFighter on Instagram and Facebook as well. We're all over social. Um, and, and, um, so yeah, really just, you know, you, you search FitFighter, you'll find us and I'd love to connect with your audience. Awesome. 
hey, if you're talking to your, one of your fellow veterans, somebody's getting out of the military here pretty soon, military spouse, and they're looking to get into entrepreneurship, what kind of thoughts come to mind? Yeah, you know, I, so the thoughts that come to mind are number one, take the chance, you know, I mean, you got to realize your, your, your personal and professional realities, of course, you, you got to really know like what your runway is, you know, financially, you got to mm-hmm. really understand, you know, what your family situation is. Entrepreneurship is not for the faint hearted. I mean, it's going to take more time, more money, more resources and more effort than you ever think. Yeah. <laughs> no matter how, right. No matter how, what your background is. I mean, I've been through the, you know, I've been around the block a couple of times when I started my company and man, especially cause you never know when a pandemic's going to hit you. <laughs> um, but I would say that I think veterans have great entrepreneurial instincts. You know, I think they're very comfortable operating in areas in, in um, under ambiguity and uncertainty. That's a very important quality, you know, of entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. I think they have a lot of humility, which is another very important quality of entrepreneurs. And I think they have good community support. You know, there is a lot of support for veteran entrepreneurs out there. And so I would say, you know, take the leap of faith because now's the time and you've got the backing. I would say be very clear, crystal clear about, you know, where you are sort of in your life, you know, because it's a big strain on, mm-hmm. on your life and, and, and your family. Um, but, but if you put a good village of people around you and take the time to lay out a good business plan, then um, you, you've got, you know, you've got the world, you've got to, the wind at your sails, I think, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, especially for great opportunities for exposure, like this podcast, you know, so great to be able to tell your story and connect with other folks and, and build that community. So those are my, those are my words of wisdom. And I'm here, of course, in support um, for anyone of your community. I'm very easy to find. Um, and, and I love mentoring, you know, fellow veterans as well, who are thinking about this. So, uh, look forward to talking with your, to, to connecting. All right. Well, thanks for sharing your entrepreneurial success story. And we look forward to seeing your future success with FitFighter. Thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciate being able to talk today. You bet. Glad you can make it here. It's awesome. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show... Leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.